The following program contains views, ideas, and opinions that have been produced by the host DJ and their guests, and are not reflective of the views of WRFL or its underwriters. For questions, comments, or concerns, please email programming at wrfl.fm. Who listens to the radio anymore? We do. WRFL Lexington. Hello, I'm Noel Oldham, and you're listening to Campus Voices on WRFL Lexington. It's been several months since the coronavirus first reached Lexington in March. How is the city handling the pandemic, and where are we now? This week on Campus Voices, we are discussing Lexington's response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the outlook for the future of the community's public health. According to Governor Bashir's website as of Monday, there are currently more than 15,000 cases reported in Kentucky. Out of those, more than 1,000 are being reported here in Fayette County. WRFL's Alex Brinkhurst has more. It has been several months since the outbreak of COVID-19 has hit Kentucky. And while Kentucky has not seen the same number of cases as some of our neighboring states, such as Tennessee or Ohio, the fears of a second outbreak still linger. Stressed further by a statement made by Governor Andy Bashir on Twitter this Tuesday referencing a rise of COVID cases in other states. With many states seeing a surge in cases as reopening plans continue forward, Bashir expressed a need to continue to work together. Reporting for WRFL News, I'm Alex Brinkhorst. Today we are talking with Dr. Kathleen Winter, Professor of Epidemiology here at the University of Kentucky, and Kevin Hall, the Communications Officer for Lexington and Fayette County Health Department. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you, it's a pleasure. Glad to be a part of this. The last time I think the two of us joined was a couple of years ago with hepatitis A. So I wonder what the next outbreak will be that brings us together. Well, it's great to have you back uh, despite the circumstances. Dr. Winter, we'll start with you. With the number of cases continuing to grow in both Fayette County and Kentucky as a whole, what sort of path do you think we're on? So unfortunately, we're still in the first wave of this pandemic here in Kentucky and, and in many parts of the country. We haven't, we saw an initial leveling off of cases, but we never saw a disappearance. And now that things have opened back up again, and there's a lot more social mixing than there was back in March and April, we really are seeing a dramatic increase in cases. In your opinion, do you think that we started to reopen too soon? That's a difficult question because there's so many different factors that go into the decision to close businesses and and schools and daycares and things like that. Um, you know, in terms of the disease containment, I do think it was too soon, um, but there's a lot of other factors that have to be considered. Do you think that we can expect to have a large spike in cases similar to the ones we're seeing in other states right now? I think that we are at risk for seeing such a spike, but I don't know that it's inevitable. We are certainly continuing to take efforts locally uh, to try to contain disease spread as much as possible. And it really hinges on whether or not individuals are able to keep themselves isolated. You know, we still don't have a vaccine for this, um, this virus. We don't have any new dramatic treatments that really reduce someone's transmissibility of this virus. So we still are stuck with the same strategy of, of social distancing. Um, and there are probably ways to do that, that still allow businesses to be open and you know, people to go about their lives like they want to, 
Um, however, there's probably ways we can do it a little bit more effectively so that we still maintain distance between ourselves and others. Kevin, can you tell me a bit about Lexington's response to the pandemic? Well, obviously, I'm going to be I'm going to be a bit biased in this as a member of the health department, but I think that honestly, that our, our, the response has been very strong. We are lucky that our health commissioner, for one, is, has years of experience in public health, but is also a trained epidemiologist, and that puts him in an interesting position to be able to investigate this and and to use that data and that knowledge to be able to protect the people of Lexington. We've also had a great partnership with UK College of Public Health and had Dr. Winner, who has been assisting. So between the two of them, we have just, it's it's unbelievable amounts of experience to be able to, to put out to the community. And one of the great things is that Dr. Humbaugh can take the data and work with us on how to make the community understand that it's an uphill battle because there's so much misinformation out there. So I want to twist the the question a little bit to how it's, I initially started answering how Lexington has responded and how public health has responded, but I want to talk about the people's response. And that's because that's really what's important to it. We need the people who are listening to this to understand they have a major role in it. Whether we opened up, too soon, whether we opened up, whenever we open up, it's up to the people who are going out, to the people who are working, to the people who are frequenting these businesses to follow these guidelines. We don't want to ruin any of the positives that have been put in place. Over the course of the pandemic, there have been over 300,000 tests performed across Kentucky. Kevin, how many people have been getting tested here in Lexington? Well, unfortunately, that's a question that comes up often, but the Lexington-Fayette County Health Department doesn't receive the total number of tests that are performed in Lexington. That goes to the state level, and we don't have the immediate access to that. What we do have, though, we get the are the positive tests. Uh, anecdotally, we know that testing is it's available, it's widespread, and it is there's pretty easy access to get to that. And a lot of barriers have been removed in terms of costs transportation, location. So uh, between state and city officials, they've been trying to find out what works best for the members of the public. And what is the process to get a test in Lexington? You know, the first thing that people need to understand is that before you get tested, wipe out any preconceived notions you have about the test. You've seen people go on social media and read or heard them talk about that it's so painful and that it's poking their brain. And while uh, it is by no means comfortable, I've had the test. It is not something that I'd want to do every day for the rest of my life. The short-term discomfort of about 20 seconds is worth knowing where you are in that moment. So in order to get the test, the first thing that we'd recommend you do is go to the Kentucky COVID website that the state has out there because they have a list where you can put in by your county. So Take a UK student, for instance, while they're on campus in Lexington, they may live in Clark County or Scott County. So you might want to go to some testing sites that are there. So you can find out what's available. You can make an appointment at some of the places. Others are drive up. The good news is, is that insurance does cover most of these and other places have them free. The ones that have been at BCTC put on by Kroger, for instance, have been completely free. So most of that instruction is out there for those people who want to get those tests. Dr. Winter, what are antibodies and does having them mean someone is immune to the coronavirus? 
So your body creates antibodies to help fight infections. And we have antibodies developed against viruses and bacteria that we've been exposed to over our lives. Often when somebody has antibodies, it suggests that they are protected against that pathogen. So if they're exposed again, they, they likely will not get sick. But those antibodies have to be at a high enough level to provide protection, and they also have to be able to do their job. They have to be functional. That, um, and that's a, something that we still don't quite understand yet about COVID-19. We don't know whether there's a certain threshold of antibodies that are needed in order to provide protection, and whether the antibodies that people are developing once they're infected, whether they will do the job to fight the infection if someone gets exposed again. There's some data now to show that people probably have short-term immunity once they've been infected. Um, so they probably will not get reinfected in the short term, but there's also a few reports out there showing that maybe some people have been reinfected. So the science is still very, very new with this virus. We're only you know, a few months into to studying this and trying to understand this. Um, so we really don't have the evidence to say definitively that yes, if you have antibodies, you are protected and you don't need to worry about this anymore. You know, can I jump in there? One of the things that she said that is so important for listeners to understand is that she said, we don't know yet because there, our commissioner likes to say we are flying the plane as we build it. And that's so true. The scientists in this are learning as they go and they're, for the public, they sometimes hear that as, well, nobody knows what's happening. But from our standpoint is the recognition of seeing what we knew a month ago is different than what we knew a month before that. And it's different than what we'll know a month from now. It's important because we're learning and sharing that information. But it also drives home the people who say, well, it's okay. I'm only going to get sick for a few days and I'll be fine we don't know what those long-term consequences could be. We don't know so much about this. What we do know is that it can be fatal and it's not a very pleasant illness. So that's why we keep messaging people, pay attention, no matter what your age is. These are mostly probably college students and young people listening. You're not immune to this. This can affect you. And then Lexington, our numbers are affecting younger people more than they are the older population. Now the older population has been more susceptible and the highest number of deaths but you can still get this and get very sick, even as a young person. Early on during the outbreak, Governor Andy Bashir explained the goal of flattening the curve. Dr. Winter, is flattening the curve, so to speak, a good standard to track our progress with this virus? Yes, flattening the curve is still important. And, and the real goal of flattening the curve is that you don't overwhelm your healthcare system. So if you flatten the curve, that means you're, you still have disease activity and spread in the community, but it's at a slower rate so that there's still room in the hospital for you if you need it. Um, so unfortunately, that is still the goal because we don't have a way yet to stop disease transmission altogether. Um, and we are just kind of trying to still do our best to slow the spread of this virus instead of trying to contain it altogether. So yes, flatten the curve is still the goal. Now the problem is that uh, it's very fragile, that flattening, and it can, even when we bring disease activity down to a steady, a steady pace, it can easily be reignited again if there are just a few events of social mixing or these super spreading events that we know can happen in any community. Um, so it certainly can spike at any point, even if it is currently flat. 
Currently, there have been a disproportionate amount of cases being reported within the Hispanic community in Lexington. WRFL reporter Alex Brinkhurst went to Cardinal Valley Park, where the mobile neighborhood testing program was set up. The Hispanic community of Lexington has faced disproportionate number of cases of COVID-19. Roughly 30% of the current cases of COVID come from the Hispanic community in Lexington, which only makes up roughly 7% of Lexington's actual population. In response, the Lexington Division of Emergency Management responded with the COVID-19 mobile testing program, which ran tests in Carnival Valley neighborhood, marking the first time since testing site was targeted in a predominantly Hispanic community. Carly Lujan, the Access and Functional Needs Coordinator at the Division of Emergency Management, spoke about the disproportionate amount of cases within the Hispanic community of Lexington. I think we can't pinpoint it to one certain thing. We're seeing health disparities nationwide with COVID um, arise. So it's just another instance where we're seeing it here in Fayette County. And yeah, it's happening here. And it's just we're trying to target it. We have identified it. And now we're just trying to address it. According to the CDC's website on COVID-19, the inequalities of living, working, health, and social conditions that have persisted across generations can isolate people from the resource needed. Luhan explained the goal of the mobile testing program was to help eliminate any barriers of getting tested, such as language barriers, by having interpreters, such as herself, at the site. The whole process is pretty much done, um, can be done bilingual. Um, the people that read them the results um, can do it in Spanish as well. So just really trying to um, eliminate any sort of barriers in this part of the community. Reporting for WRFL News, I'm Alex Brinkhorst. Dr. Winter, why do you think we're seeing a disproportionate spread of the virus among Lexington's Hispanic population? That's a great question, and this is a trend that has been seen in other communities as well. So Lexington is not unique in seeing that communities of color uh, tend to be overly represented amongst the cases. I think there are probably a number of reasons why this is. One is that a lot of Hispanic individuals are still out in the workforce and they don't have jobs such that they can work from home. They may be more overrepresented in service industries and other employments where they are out in the community and, and cannot self-isolate. The other thing that we have seen is that a lot of the Hispanic households are larger and we know that on average Hispanics have larger household sizes and it tends to be mixed generations as well. So if you have you know, two, three generations living together in a household and the kids are out in the community and certain people are working, you're just more likely to bring the virus into the household. And once it's there, it can spread to everybody in the home. Um, so within one household, you could get a large number of cases. Kevin, Lexington has identified the disparity with the virus affecting the Hispanic community. What is the health department's next step to slow the spread of the virus within that community? Well, anything that we can do is, is the first answer. We are increasing our outreach. We're working with our bilingual staff to make sure that information, good information and easy to understand information is available in both English and Spanish. But it's breaking down any barriers that exist. This is a population that over the last three or four years has really, they were marginalized to begin with, but have even more of a negative spotlight put on them by some members of the community and, and, and both at the state and federal level. And that's unfortunate because right now when we need them to pay attention that this, there's help available with this, it's hard to do that, to get that reach out there because we are semi-quasi-governmental agency. So it's working with members of the community, 
the influencers, the gatekeepers to say, can you help us get that message out? You are known in the community. You're a business owner. You're a priest or some sort of faith-based advocate. Help us get that messaging out. There's also just a general distrust, not only in the Hispanic community, but others as well, of government agencies. So letting them know that public health is here for everyone. This is a safe environment. We are not, it's not a trap. It's not setting you up in any way. We just want you to get tested. You just need a, a form of identification to get tested. Like at, what was it, Cardinal Valley this weekend. And that was a question that came up often because people wanted to know, does documentation status matter? COVID-19 doesn't care where you came from. It doesn't care why you're here. It doesn't care your background, your color, your ethnicity, your age. It affects everyone. And that's why it's important to be able to talk to the people directly about it. Recently, the University of Kentucky released their plans to reopen the school. These plans include initial viral testing, mandatory use of masks, and reworking classroom arrangements. These plans were outlined in UK's fall playbook, which was released on June 16th. WRFL reporter Alex Brinkhurst talked with a recent UK graduate, Caitlin White, about her experience having contracted COVID-19. As UK has released plans to reopen the university for the fall semester, I spoke with one former student who had contracted COVID-19 early this year from someone who had not been showing symptoms. Caitlin White, who had just graduated UK and is the debate coach at Henry Clay High School, shared some of her experiences of what it was like to actually have the virus beyond just fevers and coughs. The, the weirdest symptoms for me uh, were loss of senses. My senses of taste and smell were completely gone. And then my senses of hearing and touch were also uh, affected. Uh, like my, my hearing was dull and textures of things on my skin just felt really weird. Uh, and that, w- that was when I decided I needed to get tested. White also described having to go to the hospital due to her breathing being so constricted to the point she could not lay down. When asked, White also stated she didn't understand why some people her age were not taking the virus too seriously. And like, even if you don't think you can catch it, the possibility of you transmitting it to someone else as a carrier should be enough for you to be willing to wear a mask or wash your hands or use hand sanitizer or social distance. Reporting for WRFL News, I'm Alex Springcourt. Kevin, has UK worked with the Fayette County Health Department to develop their reopening plan? We are not really offering guidance in, or to businesses. Now, if somebody reaches out, we can talk to them in some degrees, but we're not advising them and saying you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. The good thing with UK, UK has experts that I don't want to say we're not needed as the health department, but they have so many internal people that they can do this. It's, it's a massive hospital and research university. We hope that they, feel they know what they're doing, but whether it's UK, whether it is a business on Limestone, the reaction is the same, that it's the people who are working, the people who are attending to follow those guidelines. If you're sick, I know students, this isn't going to mess, you know, reach to resonate with them at all. If you're sick, stay home, don't go to class. But we truly mean that right now. That's not just a way to get out of doing the assignment. We don't want you going out and spreading that illness to others. So it's the fever, the coughs, the aches, any of the... Uh, any of those symptoms stay in. You have to wear the mask. That's going to, it's not for you, it's for the people opposite you. And it's a way of saying, hey, fellow classmate, fellow 
Lexingtonian, I care about you and I want to protect you. And also washing your hands frequently. I went to UK. Hand washing was not something that was in my mind. It's not something I thought of regularly. But I hope that students are a little bit more aware now of these public health hygiene practices. And so have hand washing, hand sanitizer when hand washing isn't immediately available. Those will go a long way. Also, sharing equipment. We've got to really, really watch that. I hope that, you know, I see right now, you know, with, I interact with reporters often, and reporters typically share microphones, video, video equipment. We don't want you doing that. We don't want you sharing your iPads or your computers and wiping down any shared surfaces that you may have. Don't just put all of the responsibility on the UK, on their faculty and their staff. The students and the people who are, are on campus have to take some responsibility of their own, and we hope they will step up to do that. As had been mentioned earlier, the virus is largely affecting young people right now, many of whom might not know that they have the virus. Dr. Winter, with many out-of-state students coming into Lexington in the fall, do you expect that we'll see a rise in cases? I certainly think that we're likely to see an increase in cases. If we have thousands of students coming to live on campus again, um, coming from different states and even different parts of this state, living in a congregate setting in dorms or apartments or houses near campus, then yes, I think we will see an increase. Um, now, hopefully, as we've talked about, that we won't see an increase in severe disease because most young people, even if they do show symptoms, are not that sick. Um, but it is, of course, still possible that, that we will see an increase in more severe cases as well. As Kevin had mentioned, uh, face masks help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Dr. Winter, why is it so crucial to wear them in public areas, especially indoors and with social distancing in place? So there's been a lot of confusion about the role of masks and why the guidance has changed a lot since the start of this pandemic. Masks have always been known to protect people around you, if you are wearing one, then you're containing your respiratory secretions and they're not being spread as effectively to others around you. The role in there in how well they protect you if you're wearing them is a little bit less clear depending on what the mask is made of. Um, so we do think that it is very helpful to contain virus if, if somebody who is sick is wearing a mask. Um, and as we've talked about before, you can be uh, sh shedding this virus and spreading to others before you have symptoms or even if you never show symptoms. And in fact, some people who have no symptoms at all, they can be just as infectious, if not more infectious than someone who's very sick. Um, so it is important to wear masks when you're with other people and you can't maintain that physical distance of six feet or more. Um, maintaining physical distance is still the better strategy, but if you're in the grocery store, if you're you know, out in the world and you have to go to places like the bank or somewhere else, then, then yes, it is important to wear a mask to protect those around you. Kevin, how do you respond to people who have objections against wearing face masks? I get it. They're not comfortable. They were not used to them. Uh, I did a discussion earlier today and I realized as I was saying it, I know nothing about running. I'm not a runner, but I would imagine people who run marathons don't buy shoes for the first time and then wear them on a 26 mile run. So I say that to, you want to get used to it. Wear it around your house a little bit, wear it in your office before you go out around people to get accustomed to that being on there. For me, I'm 
I'm a talker and they slide off my ears when I talk. I, I've got to find the right straps that are still on there. So I get it. I understand why people are re reluctant because of how they feel, but I can promise you that that feels way better than getting sick with COVID-19 is. It is not, it's not a pleasant illness. It is not something that people want to have. I had a, but when I got tested, I had a very high fever and I was afraid that I had it. And I just thought how terrible it would be for the people who do get that diagnosis. And I didn't even have it. Um, it's also, it's unfortunate that people are making statements with the mask because as I said earlier, COVID-19 doesn't care about your background. COVID-19 doesn't vote in elections or run for office. It affects everybody. And wearing a mask, the only statement that it makes is, is that I'm listening to public health officials' guidance and I care about you and don't want you to get sick. Dr. Winter, with UK's reopening strategy and guideline out, do you think that students will be able to distance and keep themselves safe when they return to school? I think it's going to be a huge challenge. You know, there's not really a good solution for college campuses at all. So, you know, students are very anxious to come back and, and have their traditional college experience, and I get that. Um, the problem is I don't think that it can be done to reduce all risk. So we just have to do our best to minimize that risk as much as possible. I think students will really struggle with maintaining physical distance and wearing masks and some of these other recommendations. It's just not really part of what they are known to do in college. That's the whole point of going, you know, if you have the ability to live on campus and live with your friends and party and do all the things that you do. And of course, studying along the way and research and everything else. Uh, part of that experience is the meeting the people around you and having those really rich relationships. And I think that that's what's such, such a difficulty with this because we, we know that those relationships are very valuable and part of the whole experience of learning. Um, so I think it will be a challenge. I think we will have to um, stay very cautious if we see that we are seeing disease activity and it's increasing to levels that are just not acceptable. We will have to make dramatic changes at that time. Is there advice that both of you have for students returning to campus in the fall in order to stay healthy? From my end, it is everything that we tell everyone else. It's to stay six feet apart from others, to wash your hands frequently and wear the mask. But Dr. Winter's point is, it's, it's a very valid point that the college experience is a different, you're talking to a different audience than you are people who are going to the, just going to the grocery store. I, I want to make a plea to the students in that we don't want UK students to be the ones that are on the news like some of these other states and these other universities. As a UK graduate, I've, I've seen the best of UK students. I've seen UK students working with us during this response, and they, they have been outstanding. They can go work probably anywhere nationally. They've been so fantastic. And it's a chance for UK to put that best foot forward. Yes, there are going to be slip-ups. Yes, there are going to be times where you don't want to do this. Uh, but these guidelines are in place so that in the long term, we can go back to whatever normal is going to be. I think for students, you know, while they're in their classrooms or while they're on campus and not with their friends, they really need to try harder to physically distance and wear masks and reduce the risk. 
I do think if you're living in a household with a group of people, you're, you're one big family and, you know, people are not physically distancing from their own family members. So we have to sort of accept that they just have a larger social network and we need to just be a little bit more careful if somebody is sick to isolate themselves and um, really pay attention to, to your own symptoms. I also think it's important for college students, if they are in that environment, to really think about who in their lives or who they may be interacting with who is more vulnerable. So whether that's a peer or a parent or someone at the grocery store, they need to be extra cautious when with those people um, and make sure that they are not, because they themselves are probably not able to physically distance from their contacts. They need to make sure they try to separate from those others. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add or just make sure is mentioned in this episode? Yeah, the one thing that uh, students can also do that is not just COVID related, it should be for any time, but it's also check in with your friends, check in with your classmates, uh, check in with yourselves. Uh, mental health is so important. And I know that it is typical for that age range to struggle with a lot of these emotions and with the depression issues and stress and anxiety, and particularly with COVID heightening everything talking with people and just a, a text to ask people how their day is going or to sincerely check in with them is important. Do it with your professors as well. Ask how they are. Ask what they are learning through this. Ask what their experience is. And part of this is because this is history. And if you can document it in any way, whether it is through one of your social media apps or taking notes or taking pictures, do that as well. Because 100 years from now, we're going to be, we won't be. You might be. I, I definitely will not be here in 100 years. But people will be looking back at this response and wondering what we went through. But all that to go back to with the mental health, take it seriously. Talk to people. You're not alone in this. Don't feel like that you can't talk to someone else about it. And I think along those same lines, you know, I think students need to do their best to maintain flexibility and understand that there's not a right or wrong solution in any of this. None of us have the answers, unfortunately. So, um, you know, we just need to be prepared for the unexpected as much as we can. And then also with your classmates, with your professors, maintain that communication. You know, we had to abruptly switch to online this past semester. And that was a huge challenge for a lot of people. And I think the students that were the most successful were those that we're not able to, we're not afraid to ask for help when they needed it, to reach out to their professors or reach out to their peers um, to let them know that they were struggling or overwhelmed. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing that we all need to keep in mind as we head into the fall. Thank you to Kevin Hall and Dr. Kathleen Winter for coming in and giving us an update on COVID-19 in Lexington. Thank you to our writer and reporter for the week, Alex Brinkhurst. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of Campus Voices. Join us next week when we'll discuss the mental health effects of advocacy and protesting. I'm Noel Oldham and you're listening to WRFL Lexington.